Hi, welcome to the show. Uh, we do it for the love of it. I'm Kevin. You can find me at Twitter at Kevin Hansen H2H. I'm Charles. You can get a hold of me on Twitter, Instagram, anywhere at head to head PROD. This is a sports podcast watching for the best stories from across the global competitive landscape. Okay, and we're going to start it off today with the British Open, uh, where we had uh, maybe a flash of old Tiger. Just a little bit. He was for about two holes. He was in the lead all by himself. Very exciting for anyone who started watching golf in the early late 90s, early 2000s. No, I mean, it's cool to see him uh, do real well, but he did end up falling a little bit short. Yes, holes 11 and 12 killed him. Double bogey followed up by a bogey. It's not a great way... Not a great way to actually win a championship. Yeah, and then, uh, you know, he's not the same Tiger of old, so, I mean, you he did have those troubles where he couldn't recover the way he used to in spectacular fashion with a shot that no one could ever make, you know. Those surgeries still do hamper him, so. Yeah, that was a good point. When he needed, an, when he needed a birdie on the last hole, he had a very nice shot. But then he wasn't able to make the putt afterwards. So it's, yeah, it's, there, there are the flashes, but it's just not the whole tiger. Yeah. It's just, um, just, uh, just flashes of them. You can't chalk it up to bad luck either. There was some, there were a few bad luck shots. I think it was on seventeen or sixteen. He hit a very nice shot. I took a wild bounce to the right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But he also had good luck shots, like when he, he looked like he hit a terrible shot, but then it ricocheted right off a fan's leg and saved him. <laughs> So there was some good and some bad luck for him, but I think he pretty much finished where he, where you would expect him to, given his level of play. A hundred percent. The crazy, one of the crazier parts of that whole tournament was that there was a six-way tie for. Yeah, I think when the leaders were at uh, when the last group was at seventh or eighth hole, there were seven players tied at minus six. For a second, it looked like it might become absolute bedlam towards <laughs> right? the end. I mean, even with the final, there's, you know, four players that were second. I mean, it is still, like, it didn't end up with just, oh, boom. I mean, he, I mean, Francesco did separate from the pack. Yeah, we but, probably should mention that Francesco Molinari did win, becoming the first Italian to lift the claret jug. Yeah, which is, you know, very big congratulations to him. And definitely, by way of what we were talking about earlier, he is he did have a challenge the whole way through, you know? So Yeah, when you saw players left and right dropping, they'd be good for a couple holes. There were very few birdies available. Yeah. Mo- everybody was bogeying here and there, and Francesco Molinari managed to survive the entire weekend without a single bogey, and that's how he won. 37 straight. And it's that's exciting, like extremely impressive. Yeah, like consistent play, you know, and that's what you need to be in golf. And that uh, consistency is personified there. Yep. Um, so before we move on, the PGA Championship is coming up. Do you think Tiger has any chance to move up the next five spots to to take uh, take his fifteenth major? I would love to see Tiger. I mean, that's I mean, he's still the money player. Like if you were going to to watch golf, you're not like, hey, let's go because it's Tiger Woods. That's yeah, what we're there's a reason see. why we spent 90% of our golf conversation <laughs> yeah. mentioning Tiger Woods. Exactly. So, I mean, I, I, what I would love is to see Tiger take another. Do I think he has it in him? Maybe. I'm really not sure. He 
barely had to take out his driver until the 18th hole. <laughs> yeah, this course worked well for an older Tiger. Yeah. So I think it's unlikely, but I sure hope it happens. I wasn't sure I was going to watch the final round until check the leaderboard, and sure enough, Tiger's in fifth place going into it. So I'm, that's appointment television all of a sudden. <laughs> okay. So we're moving over to uh, Charles's favorite sport. We got cycling. Um, Tour de France keeps rolling on. Yeah, we uh, got another five more, six more things to bring to you here. Give you a little bit of a recap on um, a whole bunch of the of the tour that ran in the last few days. Starting off with ten. Stage 10, uh, pretty standard, uh, stage right after the rest day, few big climbs including Le Plateau de Glière. If you missed it, incredible um, moving artwork of the French resistance on the top of that. One of the more spectacular displays of French art uh, you'll see and during the tour, which is always just a great display of various French culture. Yeah, I mean, rolling hillsides and everything that comes along with it, it's just, the epitome of France's picture, picturesque, you know, countryside. Um, so uh, let's talk about ten. Who won? Who's green shirt? Who's? Uh, so Julian Alaphilippe won this stage. Uh, breakaway stage. Team Sky did not uh, particularly push the push the tempo. Uh, the big kind of notable part of this was everybody expected Greg Van Avermaet would not be able to keep his yellow jersey after, on this situation. But he got into the breakaway, got a seven-minute lead over Garen Thomas to try to keep his jersey, kept two minutes of that, and actually extended his yellow jersey lead when nobody expected him to keep it at, anymore. Yeah. So that was the most impressive thing. That's, uh, and it did. Alaphilippe put down, got a lot of points in the polka dot jersey competition, and did go into it, and is still into it today. Okay, there we go. Um, awesome. Should we slide over to 11? Right, stage 11, second day in the Alps. Uh, this was, if you listen to us for long enough, you'll hear me refer to stages as this. This one got team skied all over. <laughs> uh, another breakaway stage, this one was won by Mikel Nieve. Okay. Um, oh, wait, no, sorry. This one should have been won by Mikel Nieve. This one, Garrett Thomas. That, won. I'm, I'm mixing up, yeah, this one, Garrett Thomas won. Mikel Nieve looked like he was going to win it, but at the very end, uh, Garrett Thomas ran through and clipped him with like 300 meters left in the line. It's heartbreaking. <laughs> and you like to see the the breakaway actually win it. Very true, very true. Uh, um, but this one, yeah, Team Sky just went on the front and controlled pace. No one was able to attack them. Not much happened. Uh, interesting thing in the breakaway, but in the end he was picked right at the end by Garrett Thomas. Okay, okay, sliding over to, uh, we'll have a quick recap of 12 because we're going to come back so, at 12. yeah, Garrett have... Thomas won stage 12 up to Alptuez, amazing stage, we will come back to that pretty quick. Yeah, so we're going to move over to 13. So Peter Sagan won in, so stages 11 and 12 were just murderous for sprinters. Yeah. In stage 11, Marcel Kittle and Mark Cavendish failed to make the time cut. Oh. In stage 12, Dylan Grunewagen, uh, Fernando Gaviria... Uh, Andre Greipel all either dropped out or failed to miss the time cut. So suddenly we got this sprint stage on stage 13 when there's no more sprinters <laughs> left in the race. Right. So Pedro Sagan won that ahead of Alexander Kristoff and John Dagenkolb, both classic riders who are also pretty good sprinters, but not at the same level 
uh, you would expect any competition with Gaviria and Grunewig in there. Yeah. And then we're going to slide over to... We got... So stages 14 and 15 were very similar stages. I think we can hit them yeah, at the same 14 time. 14 and 15 at the same time. Uh, yeah. Both were breakaways. Uh, break Large breakaways. High 20s both days. Got ahead. Team Sky didn't put in a big chase. The, the Peloton finished 18 minutes behind on stage 14. I believe 11, 12 minutes behind on stage 15. Uh, both stages, the end results were very interesting. Omar Freely broke away and won stage 14. Um, in a small group, Magnus uh, Court Nielsen won in a group three, a three-man sprint. Mm -hmm. He was clearly the fastest of the remaining riders. But it puts Astana going into the breakaway in a very good mood, having won two straight breakaway stages in a row. Yeah. Um, stage 15 had no general classification drama. Stage 14, there was a small battle on the climb to the small steep climb to Mond. But in the end, all it did was to confirm that Garrett Thomas has been the best. Oh, best Team we've Sky seen. He too. But a couple, but I think four seconds into Team Sky, two seconds into Tom Duke Moulin. Yeah. Not huge gains, but every time it's gone uphill, he's been the best. Yeah, so that brings us to uh, coming back to 12 to see exactly yes. what the this, magic was. This was the, this was the stage that you would predict would be the big stage, and it lived up. Team Sky tried to Team Sky all over it, but they, the mountain was too epic, too too monstrous for them <laughs> to end up controlling it. They did control the race. A breakaway got ahead, but never incredibly far ahead. Yeah. Uh, they tried to control the race, but they uh, Alejandro Valverde attacked. Mark Soler was already in the breakaway. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they were forced to use a little bit more riders to make sure that didn't get too far ahead. And what it led to was a situation where on Alpe d'Huez, Egan Bernal, kind of the third man, yeah, the man to, cl the, like the last guy to really climb, ended up climbing very early on Alpe d'Huez. Okay, okay. Uh, so with about, uh, so he climbed very well, very impressive for the youngest racer in the race. Yes. This is a future star we're sure of, but for now he's just helping out the team and he performed very well. But it led to a situation with about 5K left, 5, 6K left, where suddenly team, there were no helpers yeah. anymore. It was just the big favorites. You had uh, Garrett Thomas, Chris Froome, Roman Bardet, Vincenzo Nibali, uh, Mikel Landek, Nairo Quintana were still there at this point. And at that point, he still believed fully in Team Sky's Chris Froome as our leader because Garrett Thomas went to the front and started pulling. Yeah. Then... As so often happens, Chris Froome attacked with about four and a half k to go, and that's where all hell broke loose. Okay. So I think we'll start with possibly the craziest part of all hell breaking loose. Yeah. Uh, Vincenzo Nibali at during this attack got hooked on the the main. There's no good video of this event, but the yeah. main kind of story that's come out is he probably got hooked on a fan's camera bag. Oh. And man. went down, crashed. Uh, looked. When I was looking at Lifetime, I thought, this looks really bad. He looks incredible pain. Yeah. But he did get back on his bike and climb the remaining four. And it, like, came, he, it must have taken him a minute, minute and a half to get back on his bike. And he fought and ended up only 13 seconds behind the leaders. Boy, wild. Wild performance, <laughs> especially when you figure out exactly yeah. what he They take him to the hospital after the stage. Turns out he had a broken back. A T10 vertebrae, I believe. Oh, man. A non-displaced fracture. 
Like, but still, like amazing. thank gosh that it didn't, you know, displace and you know maybe cripple him for life it, or yeah. It when, anytime there's a back injury, you're you're really it, worried. You're, it could have been so much worse, but the reality of it in that moment in time, he has done something that you'll we'll talk about forever when it comes to it. Like to break your back and to then push through the excruciating pain he must have felt whilst you know leaned over his bike driving 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 yeah to when clean. you think of back pain when you're sitting on a bike is not the position you, you want to be, be at and it's you're you're pulling you're pulling to and then to find yourself only 13 seconds yeah. back yeah it's not even like he was just equal with the other riders he gained more than a minute back on them there was some watching when it came down to a group of four they looked at each other so he sure took advantage of that but still incredibly impressive performance and very unfortunate that he's no longer in the race yeah uh, and, and doctors told him can't go can't touch a bike for at least 15 <laughs> days so i mean we have to imagine that i mean he's very upset but i feel like so upset, there is talk of him suing the tour over not providing him ad- adequate safety. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, I just, it, it's, it's terrible when you're that. Yeah, unfortunate and wild situation. Yeah, and in that situation, in that big stage, everything like that, and you push to take back those, to, to give you 13 seconds, like, unbelievable. And, uh, you know, next time... We'll definitely have, uh, he'll have a hopefully a, a larger shot and he'll finish a competition through and through. Yeah, so we should move on to the the true meat of the of the yellow jersey competition that resulted. Chris Room, as we mentioned, attacked with four and a half K to go. And when I while watching it, I thought, okay, this is the race. This is Chris Room taking over because he had the gap. I've seen, we've seen it. He's already won six grand tours. We've seen this happen before. He attacks. No one else is as strong as he is. You expect him just to ride away. But then the crazy thing happened, and Tom Dumoulin brought him back over the next maybe eight, 900, 900 meters with Garrett Thomas sitting on his wheel. He brought he brought uh, him and Roman Bardet. Roman Bardet was clearly the weakest, yo-yoing a little bit. Yeah. We brought him back, and we had this group of four. Um, and then that's where the unison of Team Sky kind of fell apart. Because now suddenly, Garen Thomas didn't just do what would be the traditional domestic role of just going to the front and working for his teammate now that they were all to go together. Now there was kind of this co- in, discohesion, I suppose, yeah, if that's yes, a word. Yeah, like, uh, uh, kind of a falling apart of what imagined to be the super team with a leader that is Froome. Now Garrett Thomas pushes ahead to be... Yeah, and we don't. They're still saying the right things. Every press conference soon. This is stage twelve. We're up to stage fifteen. So that's four press conferences we've had where they've continued to say the right things. Chris Room is our leader. But when when it all crumbled a little bit and you got to see like the real soul of people, it clearly wasn't as black and white as they've been saying. Yeah, it's like oh, of course he should have done it, but it doesn't seem like if you look at it on tape. It really seems like he should have just sat in the front of the pack and let Froome get a rest and then let him take yeah, a push that at would the be, end. Like if this was a no contest domestique situation, Garrett, there would be no doubt about what would happen. It would happen 100 times out of 100 yeah. that if the guy was strong enough to stay in that group, 
but he, his leader was also in that group. He would just go to the front and he would pound the tempo. There's no no doubt about that. Yeah, and that's not what happened. So I mean, I guess we have to wonder if maybe they're having an internal struggle that you know we don't really know about. We can only speculate, but it seems to be that. Maybe Derek Thomas is looking for a W right now. Yeah, if there was not an internal struggle, I've got to wonder what's going on in Garrett Thomas's head. Like, at this point, he has been the best rider. He's a minute 39 ahead of Chris Froome, who is, I believe, 11 seconds ahead of Tom Dumoulin. Like, he, at this point, has been the best rider. Yeah, so. <laughs> for the greatest race in cycling, the pinnacle of his potential career. How can you not try to take advantage of that it doesn't make any sense i don't know i i mean we'll, we'll have to see how it comes down in the end like is this gonna be like at the final stage you know they're both locked and it's just both of them biking hard ahead of everyone oh, and then the you get to really see that garrett thomas go actually it was you who was supposed to win all along or garrett thomas be like ah you know just really <laughs> driving to get this w yeah. i certainly don't want stalemate until the time trial yeah. but i would absolutely love to see a time trial with the current time gaps if you had garrett thomas a minute 39 ahead of chris Froome. 11 seconds ahead of Tom Dumoulin, the lev- the quality of their time traveling ability, that would all kind of be evening out. It would be an absolutely spectacular <laughs> stage to watch. Okay, um, we're going to move on to uh, uh, BMC. Now found new sponsorship. Yes. <laughs> it will survive under a new name. Yeah, Jim Okovitz has been telling us for months now to believe in him. This isn't going to finish. And... I had written them off. I had assumed that BMC was simply going to fold this year. Yeah. But Jim Okovitz pulls it off. Manages to find uh, a new sponsor, get them the money they need to survive, and sign their superstar back. Yes, they did lose Richie Port and Rowan Dennis, so yeah. they're, they're not going to have hit. the same yes. level of talent. And from all we know, the budget's not going to be the same as what it is this year. But the ability to keep Greg Van Avermaet on board... You have a genuine star. You can go into all five monuments and say, we can win this race. And get more money for the next time around to get, uh, you know, maybe a star back. Absolutely. Or, you know, and go from there. Yeah. Uh, CCC is a well-known sponsor in the lower ranks. Uh, CCC Spranja Polkovic, I believe, is the lesser team. Uh, Bright orange jerseys, and they have assured us that uh, we will have bright orange jerseys in next year's World Tour Peloton. There we go. Uh, I did a bit of research. It appears they're a shoe and handbag company throughout Europe. (laughs) Well, there we go. It is branching out to bikes. Yeah, I guess so. (laughs) You know, that's exciting. Um, Cool. That's our final news on cycling. Uh, I guess we should do a quick preview of the, the last week. I guess we probably should. Um, do you want to throw a prediction for a winner in? I want it to be Garrett Thomas. <laughs> <laughs> like, it really, I want Vote it. with your heart. I want it to be, I want them to be falling apart right now on the inside. They're yelling at each other every night. Like, how dare you? What are you doing? Like, an internal, like, half the teams are with him, half the teams with him. Like, let's have this be, like, a weird old... Like, I'm sure this happened way back in the day. Le Mans, uh, you know, being the most famous example. Exactly. So, like, I want to see that again. Like, let's bring that now into the future with, uh, you know, your superstar who was questionable to even be play- to be competing. And now the guy who is showing through to be almost the star in lieu of that um, kind of sideshow that happened. 
So it is. I would love to see Garrett Thomas win it, and that would be a blast. If I was voting with my heart, I think I would want Tom Dumoulin to win. Yeah, his ability to bring back Chris Froome. Like I thought for sure, this is it. This is the yellow jersey winning attack, and for him to dig deep somewhere. Yeah, he even attacked two, three hundred meters after this, and went again. It's so impressive. Now, if I have to predict with my heart, I'm still predicting Chris Froome. Yeah. Garrett Thomas has never finished above 15th at any Grand Tour, and sometimes just that third week can really hurt somebody. I think he will have probably just one bad day, but it'll be enough to knock him off the podium. Yeah. And I think Dumoulin will finish second, and I would predict Roman Bardet to finish on the podium, but this will be like a seven, eight minutes behind, not really a contender podium. I think it'll be Chris Room and Tom Dumoulin will be the, be the mono, mono to watch. Okay, okay. Um, now we're going to move on to the wild world of basketball. <laughs> Quite wild, especially north of the border this week. 100%. We're going to talk about a trade that we talked about last week. Had quite a heated discussion. Yeah. And now we get to talk about the real trade. Which I, um, still Has... don't like. Wasn't able to convince you of anything. No, um... I think uh, it didn't make much sense. Also, by way of what they were talking about, okay? So we're going to get into the trade, okay? So we're going to start with, it went with what was given, which was Kawhi and Danny Green, both great defensive players. Kawhi, obviously the superstar. But you gave up what I said you shouldn't give up, DeMar DeRozan, uh, of first, uh, that is protected. Um, top 20 protected, for top sure. Top 20 protected. So, uh, and then we're going to, and then... They gave up a youngster, Jacob uh, Podol. So now uh, we can talk about uh, the players and whatnot, but I'm going to step, step aside from that. I'm going to talk about what the leadership was saying for the Raptors before this trade happened. That does seem to be the big drama. Did Masai Ujiri promise Kawhi he was not going to be traded? Um, DeMar DeRozan. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Screw that up. <laughs> Masai Ujiri promise DeMar DeRozan. I almost said yeah. Kawhi again. Uh, did he say, like, apparently everything was being said behind closed doors and out in the public is that DeMar DeRozan is the future. Um, you don't have to worry about being moved. I mean, you would have to imagine why they got rid of their coach was literally that reason. That does make a lot of sense, but... At that time, when they fired Dwayne Casey, do you think they had any thought that they might be in the Kawhi Leonard sweepstakes? I, I don't think so. But I also have to think that why would you push him out and then go, oh, we can also get Kawhi, and then dump the, the dude that you said is going to be your future moving forward? I just feel like you're, it's not one for one across the board. Yes, Kawhi is better. Um... But you're you're trading your he's superstar. He's a lot better. Oh, like, a you're lot saying better. he's better, like, but it's I mean, not close. It's exponentially better. Like he is the better player. But you're talking about a guy who loves Toronto, wants to stay in Toronto, and didn't want to go anywhere. He didn't want. He wanted to bring it in. He wanted to build it. He wanted to be the face of the franchise. He wanted to go down in history. He's one of the best. Raptors of all time. Jerry did say he was the best Raptor of all time earlier this week. Right. So now. You're going to push him out. You're going to bring in 
Kawhi, I imagine that DeMar DeRozan is not happy. On Twitter, he was, he said... Yeah, uh, he had some, some Instagram stories that were less than positive yeah. about Ujiri specifically and, and situation what, in general. And what happened there. So we have to imagine the wool was over his eyes and then... Um, it, it, it was just, it's just, to me, I, I, I feel like now I'm less hard on Kevin Durant because, like, <laughs> where's your loyalty? Why would you, your team could just dump you in five seconds and leave you where it is. And if you think about... You gotta get the no-trade clause. Right? You, know <laughs> you gotta enforce I mean? that loyalty. <laughs> you have to force them to not be able to move you. Like, it, it was just, it just is crazy to see, and... Um, like, awesome for, uh, I guess, the Raptors for one year because he's going to be gone and you're going to he's be... probably going to be gone. He is I'm about go 137 We're going to go back a little bit to our discussion last week where our main contention, because I love this deal for the Raptors, we're on offset sides here. Yeah. And my, my general, it seems like we don't necessarily agree... I mean, disagree that much on what the trade means. Yes. We just disagree on our philosophies on how to run a team. 100%. And how, that, how you run that team. And I say you go all in for this one year. You can... You probably can't beat the Warriors unless they get injuries. Yeah. But this team can make the NBA Finals. Uh, I don't... I, I feel like, yeah, it has the ability to be there if LeBron James wasn't involved with any of it at all. You can't imagine you you would think if you're a betting man LeBron James won't be, in be involved with the Raptors next year. I just I, you I, you can't win. Like I mean yeah, now you can win the East, but what does that do for you? You won the East for one year. You're not going to keep him after that. It's not going to be like, "Oh, well, look at you won the East. The East is trash now. LeBron is gone." Like you can always win the East. You can go somewhere else and win the East. But if you get into the final, you can win it. There's only no. two teams left. No. Let's see. Let's say the Warriors win, uh, but Steph Curry's ankle acts up through the playoffs, and Kevin Durant, Game Seven of the Eastern Conference of the Western Conference Finals, breaks his ankle. It, it's just you can win now. You can't win. You're not I, winning in the next three years without Kawhi. Like you, you're not winning in the, in the next decade. There's, the Raptors aren't winning in the next decade. If they don't make this trade, I just they don't, might win this year. Why end up being one of the worst teams in the East instead of being one of the teams that will always be near the finals? Now with LeBron James out of the East, you were probably going to be in the finals against I don't Boston. All said and done, DeRozan and Lowry are beating Boston this year. Well, I mean, like, it, I mean, it, it it could happen. I mean, it, it way more possible for that happening over and over again and maybe them squeezing that out than them beating LeBron James. So I just don't know why you bring in Kawhi Leonard to have him for, I'm going to still say like 100% one year. 98% one year. And that's that's another part we haven't discussed yet. What if he does resign? Because there's a 0% chance of him being a Raptor next year. If he like, there's no way he's going to as a free agent to the Raptors. Yeah. But now you can sell him on Toronto. Maybe there's two five percent whatever it is that he stays. What if you have Kawhi for the next five years? I don't know. I just feel like Drake is not going to be enough to keep him around. I mean, he'll be helpful, but I just don't see it happening. It doesn't make 
sense for Kawhi. Kawhi wants to be in L.A. LeBron James is in L.A. They have a plan in L.A. to win with Kawhi. Like, it's obviously there. I mean, it's not out in the open, but it's there. That's a part of it. Like, there's no way you didn't take into account that Kawhi is probably going to be on your team or be able to be on your team. Not that the Toronto Raptors are going to slide in and convince them that, oh, the place to be is in Toronto with, oh, Lowry. I think from LeBron's actions, it's pretty clear that this was made for non-basketball reasons, and that's why he's in L.A. If he wanted to guarantee that Kawhi Leonard was in L.A., he would have used his leverage before he signed to make the Lakers really pay up to make that trade beforehand. I don't think it makes sense. I think it made sense to let him finish off his contract with whatever team that wants to make a move or do whatever. Maybe he stayed put, but I doubt it. Some team would have made a move. And it wasn't a team that's going to really be able to make him stay. Like, it wasn't going to be OKC. Well, if he wants to go home to L.A., there's only two teams that can make him stay. 100%. And the Clippers now losing all their star power. Yeah, they're back to being a mess. Like, you're going, you're literally looking at exactly what it is, and that's him eventually going to L.A. So why lose pieces to gain one piece? Of the pie, even though it is a large piece, like it might be, you know, a third, a third, and then break up all the little pieces with Lonzo and everyone else. But like, you're getting rid of way too much depth to make that move. It's not. I I understand your point of view, and from the Lakers' point of view, why give it up? Mm-hmm. Um, but. I still think you gotta you gotta go when you have a chance to go for it. They come around so rarely. I think you gotta take it. Yeah. I do want to throw out my dream scenario for you and just get your opinion on this. Yeah. Uh, because this makes me more excited for the next basketball season, which was starting to look pretty dull. Yep. But how about this? LeBron, LeBron's in the playoffs like we've never seen it before. Yeah. And manages to get to the final. Okay. The Toronto Raptors, much more reasonably possible. Make it to the NBA final. Okay. And now suddenly you have the Toronto Raptors who have been accused of getting wide-eyed and scared when they face LeBron. Yeah. And most of that blame fell on DeMar DeRozan and Dwayne Casey. Yeah. Both of those people are gone now. Okay. So as a lover of chaos, I want this to happen, and then I want the Toronto Raptors to get swept. (laughs) (laughs) And uh... And just suddenly the two people that they blamed for the wide-eyedness are gone and yet it still absolutely happens. That's what I want to see. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, I would, I would love to see that because I feel like <laughs> when we talk about players betraying a team and moving on, I think it's, I think uh, organizations that suffer when they do things the way they do it, and I think the Cavaliers are going to suffer, and I hope that Toronto does because Demar Rosen didn't deserve to be done the way he was done. Solid opinion, but. You gotta do. You gotta get it when you can get it. Okay. All right. Let's move on to the SEC. Got a few. Uh, There's some college football in general, I suppose. A lot of the conferences had their media days this week, and I just wanted to run a few of the top stories. Get your opinion on it. Would it be safe to say that you love college football above all sports? I love college football. I love the narrative. I think it is one of the better dramas. A very, it's just so exciting. It's guys who aren't playing for anything other than respect and to uh, 
it's it's just so exciting and I enjoy every minute of college football. If you get a chance and you've never seen a football game, this is where you start. It is the best you'll see. Right, and that's the perspective on what we're going to get as I run through a few of these stories. Okay. First thing, uh, first story I wanted to ask about was, as we always start in the college football world with Alabama. Yes. Nick Saban is not sure who his starting quarterback is going to be and is not sure where that's going to leave Jalen Hurts at the season opener. What do you think? Um, I feel like you go with, obviously, who can win. I mean, you would do the same thing in every level. Uh, but it's really crazy kind of situation because Jalen Hurts being the starter up until literally two quarters left in a game, basically. <laughs> yeah, two quarters left in the entire season. Yeah, and um, so... I hope Jalen Hurts manages to pull it out and be the winner of the situation because obviously Tua still has a lot of football left in college. So um, I really hope that um, we really see the best Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts takes a job, goes. If not, I imagine he stays. I You think Hurts stays even if he doesn't get the starting job? I feel job. like he stays even if he doesn't get the starting job. And I know it's a weird kind of thing to say, but I feel like he's that type of competitor that wouldn't leave. I think that's exactly the type of uh, man, young man that uh, Nick Saban would bring up. So, And he's been there for so long, I feel like he wouldn't leave. And uh, You see some of uh, Nick Saban's comments. That possibility seems... Seems like a genuine possibility. To yeah, me. I mean, it, it's exactly the type of player that Alabama has molded for ever. So it'll be exciting to see kind of how that all ends, that drama. And then if, if it all does end, I imagine Jalen to stay. If not, I don't know where he does go. There are uh, so many choices for him and it really... Maybe closer to home? Yeah. I don't believe... Uh, I think he would have to take a year off, if I'm yeah. correct, right? Yes, He's, he would be moving without a uh, by way of a degree and yeah. getting his master's or however they run it. So he, he could make that decision last minute to sit out this league, and that would be... So he's from Houston. Uh, could be Texan team. Uh, mm. Or even Houston. They always have high-flying quarterbacks. Yeah. I don't know, though. It, it just seems... It seems when you think Jalen Hurts is the better quarterback, that was... I'm not sure about that. I've never seen a lot from Jalen Hurts to think, I mean, this Jay, is my... I feel like... I need to go to the wall for, to the, for this guy. Yeah, I feel like he was the type of quarterback that got the job done. So if you had someone who is a high-flying sharpshooter, you should definitely run with that. Like, why not go with the dude who is going to be spectacular and win you games um, over the guy who is like a manager of the game. So, I don't know. Um, I, I feel like he's probably the more complete and he'll do all the right things. I think Tua has the ability to be this, has a, the, you know, the sky's the limit. He's young, he only played two quarters starting. I don't actually know about this. Does Tua have the same legs? <laughs> I don't know yes. how to say that better as, uh, as Jalen Hurts. Yes, does. he's very he's mobile. 
but he is uh, strong in the pocket as well. He's, I mean, but once again, he's so young. So, I mean, college football is one of the more exciting sports when it comes to youngsters because they can step in and start literally immediately. So, yeah, we see that all the time. So let's say Jake Fromm, for example, last year. Yeah, Nobody yeah. was expecting him to have the starting job. And now, like, he was incredibly impressive last year. Yeah, and I mean, even who they were playing in Georgia. Who was their quarterback? Was Jake Fromm. Uh, was he a true freshman? Yeah. Was he? Oh. Yeah. I didn't realize Fromm, that's, Fromm was his last name. I was thinking it was... I'm probably thinking of the kicker because I really like his glasses. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, it, it's uh, he, exactly that. Like, you, he was literally across the field from a true freshman in that game. So, yeah. Tua was a true freshman as well. Was he not? Yes, I believe so. So, if we're going to see, like, that young guy step in, uh, I would we'd hope to have a rematch and have them both play the full game through and see exactly how it goes. Yeah, but, it might be a little unlikely. It's hard to get two in a four-team playoff to get two yeah, from the same yeah, conference. If any team's going to make it again, it's going to be Alabama. So Yes, I mean, there's no doubt about that. It'll be exciting to see all said and done kind of how it ends, but I would hope that Jalen even does, does not leave and stays. All right, uh, let's move on to Jimbo Fisher. Story came out... Um, Kind of talking about the expectations on Jimbo Fisher. Texas A&M now has the second largest um, money pile, I suppose. Pile of money, ready um, to just spend behind Texas. They spent more than ten million dollars to buy out Kevin Sumlin to hire Jimbo Fisher. Jimbo Fisher, I believe, is making more money than anybody else in the country. And with all that money, they are expecting huge things from Jimbo Fisher yep. really quick. Is that? A realistic expectations at Texas A&M. So what they're expecting of him is that he wins a national championship, I believe, in three years, two, two or three, three years. Huge. Very quickly. Much more quickly than I believe anybody outside of College <laughs> Station actually believes will happen. Yeah, so uh, they're like, hey, you got to win now. Uh, you have to, like... Like, that expectation is, to me, seems like a stretch. I mean, you're going to have good recruiting. You're going to have, you know, it is Texas A&M. You are Jimbo Fisher. You're going to pull in some of the better recruits. I uh, just feel but if like... you're talking about winning two to three years, it, it's not really necessarily even your recruits at that point. Very true. But I mean... This isn't basketball. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just imagine that you're going to be in a situation in which you're going to pull in the top-level guys. Those top-level guys are probably going to be able to plug and play. Like, they're going to be able to take over anyone's job that's there. Like, they're talking... Like, this expectation is of him stepping into Alabama. Like, that's what this yes, is. Yes, an like, already built Alabama. Yeah, exactly. Like, him, Nick Saban retiring right now and him stepping into Alabama. Like, this is what Alabama should ex expect. Texas A&M? Texas A&M is nowhere near as star-studded, nowhere near as physically capable, nowhere near as polished. I don't get it. I, it's, it's so far beyond me. And a coach like that, you want to keep around for a long time because the longer you have them, the, the easier it is for them to entrench their philosophy, their work ethic, the, everything they need to then win. Yeah, like, I think that's highlighted. You see more and more college coaches are flying all over the place. 
And once again, it's the guy who's been there forever. I know it's Nick Saban, and he would be good wherever he was, but the yeah. fact that he's been there for so long has to be part of his advantage. 100%, because if you are, yes, you're, you're losing your assistant coaches and whatnot, but when your leadership is a stone, it is way easier not to get blown away in the wind of everything that happens in a season. Like, if you, that, if you have that stone, everyone ties himself to that, and they're going to weather it. Even if they lose, they'll be back. They'll tie themselves to it and be there again. It, it's different than when it, you, know, you go and you get blown away, and you come back, and then there's just a different stone. Then you're like, where did that one go that we need to, to really hold ourselves in place? It was here, but it's gone now, right? Like, that's literally what it is. These kids are walking into a different human being that comes with a different assistant coach that comes with a different philosophy that comes we haven't even talked about as assistant coaches they have hired some the most expensive assistant coaches you can think of just throwing Um, money at a problem Mike Elko uh, Notre Dame's defensive coordinator they sign him away for 1.8 million dollars a year that's the assistant coach (laughs) you're throwing money at a problem and I just feel like expecting to be fixed in one minute is weird because in three years, my guess is the coaches will finally all be gelling and your player situation will be on the upturn, like a, a very steep upturn, I imagine. But I just don't imagine. Yeah, we're beating a dead horse at this point, but I just want to give you their last five records. Yeah. 9-4, and 7-6. and six. It, it, It's a mediocre team that's expecting gold from... Quickly. <laughs> they paid seventy-five million dollars to Jimbo Fisher to make it happen. Yeah, it, 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 we, I, we we live in the real world in yeah. South Texas A&M, and it just doesn't it doesn't make any sense to me to expect that so quickly. And I it would have been smart to pay them exponentially less, and then just been like, hey, it's going to take a little bit of time. Save your money. All right, uh, let's move on to kind of a. Not as pleasant story. I want to talk about uh, Larry Fedora, North Carolina coach, or is he their athletic director? I'm skipping on that right now. But he made some very ill-advised comments about CTE and football this week. Uh, Yeah, and that's not something you want to see in this day and age. Like, I just feel like the head coach, which is terrible, like... To make some comments about saying that CTE is not, you know, this or but that. There's, or no, there's no connection, and we don't know if it's actually harming people. And, and that we don't want to, football shouldn't become, yeah, he's worried about football becoming soft. We've heard all these lines before. And, like, this weird idea that, like, oh, it's, it's getting soft, it's getting soft, is crazy to me. Like, the, the sport has to advance and adapt. Every sport's been doing it. Since the beginning of time, we don't wear leather helmets anymore. We don't not wear helmets anymore. Like, we are adapting and we're understanding now that there is an issue with hitting your head all the time and hitting it hard and concussions. So why... It's it's made all the more just important by the fact when you consider these are kids, basically, still, that aren't getting paid. Like, they're risking, you're risking your life to play dang near any sport. It happens in hockey, it happens in soccer, it happens in everything. And it's it's happening to all sports. This isn't just football. Football has a, uh, has a, has a micro, like a microscope on it, like really getting down to the germs of it all. But it, it's every sport, and 
it's crazy to say something unless you are a doctor of... And that's what makes it so much worse. Some of the groundbreaking CTE research is coming out of North Carolina, the school he's <laughs> representing when he's on the stand doing this stuff. I, I, I feel like if I were North Carolina, I would part ways with him immediately. I'm, I don't... I was I thinking this might be our first chance to call for someone's fire in this literally, very young podcast. This is, this is our second podcast, and I'm asking North Carolina to literally walk away from this man because you're talking about the health and safety of your players, and a guy doesn't believe them. This isn't magic hocus-pocus science. Like, it's, it's killing me to kind of see in this day and age that we're talking about something that's leading to players committing suicide to issues that are catastrophic and we're doing everything to protect these players and you want to all of a sudden take a big step backwards. Yeah, you can't feel comfortable playing for this, man. No, and I, I feel like you should allow players to transfer whatever you need to do. That dude needs to be gone. Unless, if, like, if they don't if they don't fire him, players should be allowed to leave for free because that dude is should be nowhere near the sport of football. It's... Uh, so that is a very serious topic we just went on. But I do want to go continue on some of the stuff he said. It was a little, a little funner. Yeah. Still quite as crazy. But he, he talked about how football was important to America and America's army. And America wouldn't be standing if football gets too soft. Specifically, he said a three-star general told him that the reason why America's army is so great is because all the soldiers once played football at some point in their lives. <laughs> oh my man. gosh, like, be quiet, dude. Like, who are you? Like, I get it. You Football players are a different breed in that they know how to follow rules, they know how to do everything, so it's an easy... It to, is a militaristic yeah, setup. Yeah, so like, to step into to the military, of course it would make sense. But like... Take a look at any military spending graph, <laughs> and I think you know why America's Army is so good. Exactly. So, I mean, you, like, this dude needs to, I just don't like him anymore. I'm done. Like, I don't, I feel like you, we shouldn't even be talking about him. If, All right. But. We'll, uh, we'll leave that alone. Is there any other college football news you wanted to point out? I mean, I'm just excited for it to start, like, getting started, uh, it's going to be an exciting season. It'll be cool to see the teams that you know were good last year to see where they are going to be this year. Um, we're going to be keeping up to date with them as it goes along, so make sure that you kind of stay tuned for that. So we will. Um, right. Yeah, in about a month and a half, we will we'll be right into the swing of one of the best sports seasons you can imagine. Okay. Sliding on to our, I guess it would be big brother, <laughs> father of this, <laughs> the NFL. Um, Not as much news as in college football this week, but there were a few stories. Le'Veon Bell and Pittsburgh Steelers could not come to any extension. Um, there's still time left. I mean, it, there's a big deal made of this, and there should be, because pay the man. Um, but he's a, he's a running back who's a little bit older. 26, I believe. Yeah, I mean, that's... Which does count as older. Older now and running back, you know, lifespan. If you're going to pay him a longer contract, it should have happened earlier. I feel like running backs almost should hold out for a large contract. Running backs have to hold out, yeah. You You have to get paid right out the gate millions of dollars because 
and then they have to hope that you do pan out. Like that's literally what it has to be because you cannot let you cannot be the the best running back in the league and be fighting to be like, hey, pay me. Like I've done everything. Like they don't pay you in retrograde. Hold out, get your money. After your rookie contract is over. So they offered him a deal that offered, like it was $70 million total, but that number doesn't count because you never get paid the last few years. Yeah. It was $33 million of guaranteed in the next two years. So $16.5 million per year. Are you sure that Le'Veon Bell should have turned that down? Yeah. That's uh, risky. 100% he should because there's a team that will pay him. There's a team that's on the cusp that's going to pay him a butt ton of money. But he can't sign that contract until the end of this year. He's still got another year. He's making his franchise fee $13, $14 million. I I mean, right now he's getting what? What The franchise tag, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think it's $14 million. So then he'd be, if he signed this contract, he would have that $14 plus another $33 million. I think it's really risky for him to put that $33 million off the table because he is 26. I don't know if he's going to get. 33 million guaranteed next offseason. Oh, very true. Um, I don't know. Maybe uh, maybe have an early retirement and come back next year. <laughs> <laughs> that great, that is a genuine possibility. I, think we're running, like, like, I don't think it's actually going to happen until no, we see it course. happen. But I think it's something players should really consider. 100%. If, if contracts uh, are now in this day and age, especially for a running back, going to do things like you, like right now, they're leveraging the fact that by the end of this year, you're probably not going to get as much money, which is fair. It's a business move, um, but while, like you should have some ability to make sure that you're able to get that most money. So why not just yeah, hang them up for a year? Yeah, running backs in this day and age have to do everything they can because their careers are short. Short, exactly. You know, there's always a fresh pair of legs waiting to, you know, take that from you. And I just feel like if you're not like if you're not going to get paid the money you're going to get paid, retirement is a fair option, especially with a year left. So we'll move to a bit of sad news. Um, We don't know any details at the moment, but it has been announced that Tony Sperano, former head coach of the Miami Dolphins, current uh, coach coach. of the old Minnesota Vikings, has passed away at age 56. That's that's crazy sad. Um, You know, way young. I mean, hopefully... Yeah, that's the kind of age that just scares you a little bit. Yeah. Like, there are horrible accidents that you all know, but when someone dies at 56, it just sticks in your head a little bit. You think that's... So, I mean, hopefully, um, you know, the family is is, uh, okay and everything. It wasn't an accident or anything, but hopefully he's... His family, you know, we wish the best for them, and hopefully they you know, uh, work through this time and get through uh, happy and healthy. Absolutely. So we'll move from that sad note to the world of esports. Yeah. Pretty um, big week this week. Very big. Uh, first of all, Epic announcing um, Epic Games, uh, Mega Fortnite, obviously, which is a big deal. I'm pretty sure everyone's flossing listening to this. Um we're going to talk about that they dropped an eight-week, $8 million tournament, kicking it off with a $250,000 duos um, uh, tournament, which fell flat. 
Yes, it was an inconspicuous start. They only got four rounds in before the servers completely crashed. Yeah, which is um, not what you want in the starting of it all. But uh, this kind of money being put into this, yeah. these sports, is a big deal. 100%. Um, there was actually, uh, so uh, to go along with this, which is crazy, it'll be cool to see in the next over the next eight weeks. I think it's from July 14th, which already happened till two weeks from that date, which I believe is the 25th or somewhere in the ballpark. I, I believe you're correct. Yeah. So um, like that's when it's going to be ending. But there was a uh, stats that were ran, and there were analytics that were done, and they had numbers that were given in the future of Battle Royale Gaming, saying that in the next two years that Battle Royale Games will bring in $20 billion. $20 billion. Yeah, I don't care what your thoughts are. Year. That kind of money being thrown around, you got to pay attention. They're talking about it literally exploding. I mean, Epic being the company that has now made a billion dollars on selling skins and, uh, you know, for and cosmetic items for their game, which obviously don't affect the game, which I super agree with. But um, they drop from all the skins, they've made a billion dollars from that alone. So to say that all of a sudden you're going to go from a billion dollars in that to $20 billion wholesale across all of your games, that's PUBG, you know, whatever one creeps up into yeah, the fold. I'm sure there will well. be more coming up. Uh, it'll be exciting to see the tournaments that come along with that. Yeah, and speaking of tournaments that might be coming up. There's a big meeting, Jake Lyon of the Houston Outlaws and Seiyun Kim of the Shanghai Dragons from the Overwatch League. We're talking with uh, the IOC this week so the about uh, potentially sometime in the future, what those tournaments including the Olympics. Yeah, like the reality of what esports is now is just on the cusp of becoming a, just a foundational thing. Like you flip on your TV and you go... Oh, oh, well, let's establish this. You turn on your TV, you're not watching cable, you put on your Netflix or your Hulu or your whatever, and they're playing your your live sports because that's where it's going to be, and your live sports is going to pertain eSports. Absolutely. It, it, it's amazing, and it's cool to see how fast it's happening, and it's exciting to see kind of what games we're going to see there because... Right there, we're talking Overwatch, and that's Overwatch yeah, alone. The future is now. Just this week, there's the semifinals of the Overwatch League. Exactly. Um, before we slide into that, I just want to say, like, we, we still have PUBG. We still have, you know, the personalities that come along with that. The Ninjas, the uh, Dr. Disrespects, the Shrouds, all these personalities that are running Twitch channels that are the pro gamers. It'll be really cool to kind of see how... This becomes a massive, giant. Yeah, this isn't some small niche that you're gonna you're gonna be hearing about this just walking down the street on the on the radio on billboards. You exactly. Know? I mean, once again, radio will be on the internet because it's it's a future. <laughs> I work in construction. There are still lots of people that just work in the radio, just <laughs> listen to the radio, radio all right? day. <laughs> it's it's it, to say where it'll be with that much money. I mean. You have to imagine things will change, and they are really quickly. But also, I forget, there's also the one thing they did in Texas. They built an eSports stadium, which is 
millions and billions of dollars. <laughs> so wild. I mean, like we're we're literally just on the cusp of the most exciting time in uh, in esports. So uh, really cool to hear about that. Really awesome to see them talking about the Olympics and also signing into Overwatch League and our winners of that being the surprise, surprise, 3-0 winner, Philadelphia Fusion. They should not yeah, have been They went 3-0 first and then win a squeaker 3-2 to absolutely shock the highly favored New York Excelsior. Right. Uh, it's crazy. It's crazy that they were there in the first place to every team. It was, oh, Excelsior's going to win, Excelsior's going to win, Excelsior's going to win, and all said and done. You finish it off with your Philadelphia Fusion. And they'll be taking on the London Spitfire, who since they were down in the first match in the quarterfinals, have won 3-0, 3-0, 3-1, 3-0 to get to the finals. They're on an absolute tear right now. Exactly. So it's going to be two teams that are literally on fire. It's going to be everything you're expecting and more. So I, that uh, kicks off Friday, July 27th, yeah. 5 o'clock Mountain Time. Um, uh, prediction? I want to see Philly win it. I want to see Philly do the unheard of thing. The team that was considered to be nothing now being everything and winning it and having their fairy tale season yeah, come to a close. It's tough to have a Cinderella fairy tale in the inaugural season, but <laughs> trust us, this is. Nobody was predicting this beforehand, but I'm going to once again predict with my head, not with my heart, and I think the London Spitfire, they made a bunch of adjustments after the first match of the quarterfinals, and they've just been untouchable ever since. Yeah, so, I mean, make sure you, uh, you catch this one, because eventually you're going to be watching on the Olympics, so might as well catch the first one that isn't there, so. Shall we finish off with a bit of soccer talk? Yeah, we finish off the esports over to... Um, the soccer world and crazy news coming from that Ronaldo no longer with Real Madrid which is not what I expected he takes the second biggest transfer fee ever to move to Juventus seven time Italian champs but they're not on the same level worldwide as Real Madrid no not at all and it's cool to see now they will be in the world stage. Yes, you would Real have to Madrid. think so, absolutely. Um, so it's exciting to see Italy making these moves. You know, um, I, I, I just can't say I expected this at all, and I almost am speechless <laughs> when it comes to it. Do you have any thoughts on potential replacements? Uh, Real Madrid, I imagine now... They're going to have to move and try to get a guy. There was talks about Neymar, which were quashed. Yes, those appear to have fallen through. Yeah, quashed by Zinedine Zidane, the um, exciting Former player. Former coach, I believe he's still yeah. an executive on the team. Yeah. Believes there would be too much of a class with Marcelo. Which is Although weird. these are all just rumors. Yeah. But, uh, yeah which, which is a weird way to say that would be the case because they both did play in Brazil nationally. Yeah, I didn't understand that either. Yeah, I mean, they didn't win it all, so I guess. But, I mean, very weird to me. But, um, so there were talks of, we have five players here that we're going to suggest could be the guy. Uh, 
We're going to start it off with a midfielder. His name is... you talking about Eden Hazard? Is you that uh, the person you wanted Eden to start Hazard, off with? The Belgian superstar. Um, he's playing, I believe, in Chelsea? Yes. So uh, if, we, if they try to make that move, that would be a big play and would make sense. He fits in... Uh, I imagine pretty well. That fits in pretty well. I think the issue there would be Barcelona would not be happy if he got them. I think there's going to be a strong push from Barcelona to try to keep him away from Real Madrid. A hundred percent. So, I mean, they're gonna. That I feel like that would be their the number one move. That would. I mean, the number one fit if they can get it done. Different case. Uh, you want to slide over to the... Uh, yeah, so one name I was going to throw out uh, is James Rodriguez. But you didn't like this idea. I don't like Former it. Real Madrid player. I mean, it makes sense that he was from Real Madrid and everything, but uh, he's a little older. I imagine they would want to move that, make that move and then get a little younger. That's why. It's like, why replace him with an... It's like, hey... Unless you're switching across the board for Lionel Messi, like it doesn't make any sense. Like you're not, you're getting rid of the best player to bring in. Oh, a dude who's older and not that player. Like it just doesn't make any sense to me. But I mean, it, it, it does. Maybe they bring him in, and and uh, I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> not a fan. A uh, slightly lesser known name, uh, Paulo Dybala. Uh, forward uh, played for Argentina. If I'm not wrong. Yes, yes, Argentinian Yeah, he's player. an Argentinian player. Uh, uh, he's a forward. It would be exciting to see. Um, I mean, obviously not as not the same talent as a Ronaldo. I mean, there's only two players who are that talented. But uh, it would be, it would, it's a move that would make sense. Uh, exciting, a little bit younger. He's not uh, nowhere, he's not in his 30s. So it would be cool to see... Yeah, to me, this is the one that it's not quite as newsworthy as some yeah. other possibilities. But this one just makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it's just a, it, it makes sense. Switch him out, get a guy who can strike and get the job done. Uh, you know, he may not be the dude right now, but uh, he, he would be a nice fit for them. And then if you're going to replace Cristiano Ronaldo's penalty kicks, yes. I don't think there's a better name out there than Robert Lewandowski. Yes, uh, he. I believe he's transferring from midfield to forward. So I feel like if they really want it, they can put him in the exact same position of Ronaldo and have him be... Yeah, I mean, he doesn't have the creativity. He doesn't yes. have the, like, the panache of Ronaldo. But the, you, at some point, you need a guy who puts the ball in the net, and Lewandowski knows how to put a ball in the net. In spectacular fashion. So, I mean, I feel like th uh, that pick right there would be the one that I would like to see the most and it'd be the most exciting other than that it, like and it, and the most possibility of happening as well because the other one I'd really like to see is Hazard to see that yes. you know Belgium Hazard would be exciting I'm not sure we'll be able to to be done all said and done so yeah. I, I think Lewandowski would be the, the 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 fit that I would like to see and I think would be the best for them all right I think that brings us to the end of this podcast. Thanks for listening.
100%. Once again, make sure you come check us out on our social media. Once again, on... If you got a story you think we should be following, hit us up on For the Love Pod on Twitter, Instagram, anywhere you can get a hold of us that way. 100%. So make sure that you get us also on our personal ones. Kevin at eight, uh, Kevin Hansen, H-U-H Pod. And you can get a hold of me at eight Head to Head P-R-O-D. You got it. Okay. So check it out, guys. And uh, once again, thanks again for listening.